So let's continue our series on altered. As I've shared with you, I want us to look at altered not just as a piece of furniture in church or the front of a building, but a lifestyle. Someone say lifestyle. An altered lifestyle. Again, the word is spelled that intentionally. We wanted to spell the word altered, not A-L-T-E-R. Typically, how you would spell the word altered, altered, apostrophe D, a lifestyle, an encounter with God. And we're growing in our understanding of this. I want to show you uh, a reference in Hebrews 13, beginning of verse 10, to an altar that was different than the one in the Old Testament. A different kind of altar. Also, do you know if you read through the book of Revelation, do you know there is a golden altar before the throne of God in heaven? There was an altar instituted in the Old Covenant. There's an altar that we're going to read about in Hebrews 13 here. There is a golden altar that is before the throne of God in heaven. An altar is always the place where we encounter God. Let me help you with this. So many times in church, we've made coming to the altar... A bad thing. Come on, think about your church experience. The only time anybody came to the altar was to confess sins. But the altar's in place to encounter God. When we go to the altar, we're saying, I want more of Jesus. I want to encounter God. We, we have religiously uh, neutered the altar of God. I know that's kind of a rough statement, but it's true. We, we have lessened this incredible meeting with God. The altar is not a negative thing. It's not, let's come to the altar. Oh, no. Let's go to the altar. Is anybody watching me? Come on. The altar is where we encounter God. It's where we're reminded of His faithfulness. It's not a geographical place. It's the condition of our hearts. And so I just wanted to, before we go into the teaching, let's look in Hebrews 13 and verse 10. Look at this statement. We have an altar. Now, the book of Hebrews Uh, The author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. All right? He's saying that the theme of Hebrews is a better covenant. The New Covenant in the blood of Jesus. All right? So look at this. We, those of us in this New Covenant, have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. What was he saying? Now, who ate from the altar in the Old Covenant? The priesthood. So he says, we as New Testament believers have an altar, have an encounter, have an access to God that even the high priest did not have under the Old Covenant. Isn't that amazing? How many thankful for a better altar as we go into this? So I want you to see that. So let's go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 16. 1 Kings 16. I I want us to check that out. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. We're we're going to see the power of the altar when the nation of Israel had fallen to their lowest point. And my question for us today is simply this. What can God do when a nation is at its worst? What can God do when a nation is at its worst? What can God do when uh, a family is at its worst? What can God do if a church, His church, is at its worst? Then let's get real personal. What can God do if you're dealing with your worst situation right now? What can God do? How does the altar impact the worst moments of our life? What are the things that we can see and what can we do? Am I the only one that's getting hot in this room today? Is it? I saw three hands. That's enough for me. With the ushers, please check. Thermostats. All right. Ladies, we'll give you a coat or something. All right. So, So, 
1 Kings 16. What do we do when things are at their worst? Their very worst. Let's look at this account. Uh, 1 Kings 16, verse 29. Follow along with me. Keep your Bibles open, your devices fired up. We're going to look at several areas today. 1 Kings 16, 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, watch this, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, look at this, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And what a reputation. Verse 31. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but to make his sin worse, he married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, I've said this before. Out of all the Bible names that we name our children, and I love those Bible names for children, I've never yet met a little girl named Jezebel. Can the church say amen? <laughs> because this King Ahab was so wicked, he turned his back on God, he led Israel astray, and to compound that, he married the daughter of a heathen king who, who was named after the god Baal, and she brought even more wickedness into the kingdom of God, Israel's kingdom. So watch this. Verse 32, he set up an altar. He did what? He set up an altar for whom? For Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, look at this, and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings before him. What did he do? He built an altar for Baal. He set up an Asherah pole. He tore down the altar of God. Listen to this. You can never worship at one altar until you have torn down the other altar. You cannot worship at two opposing altars. And so before Baal's altar was built, the altar of God had been neglected. The altar of God had been uh, uh, called a trivial thing. And this ungodly king led this nation to its lowest moment. Baal was the god of human sacrifice and shrine prostitution. Male and female prostitutes served in the worship of Baal, and babies were burned in fire as sacrifices to him. Asherah was the female god that was the counterpart of Baal. Wicked perversion brought in by this king and his queen on the nation of Israel. So I want you to get to setting, all right? Let's, let's go uh, to chapter 17 and verse 1. Stay with me. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, So what does God do when an ungodly king and an ungodly queen lead a nation to its lowest moment? You know what the Word says? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If God be for me, who can be against me? Come on, anybody tracking with me right now? And so when the enemy causes a nation, a family, a person, a church, a city, a neighborhood, a school, a business to fall to its lowest level because they neglected the altar of God, God will always have a prophet, a word, someone to represent him in that moment. 
So Elijah comes on the scene. This is the first time we've heard of Elijah. Let me encourage you. In the moment of crisis, some of God's greatest rulers or answers rise up in that moment. When everyone else is walking away from God, you just may be the one that God's going to raise up in that moment. All right? It was his moment. So Elijah walks in. Look at this. And this is what he says to the king. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve... There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Have mercy. Now, come on. I don't know if your hero is Michael Jordan or uh, 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 who, who else? Let me think about Tom Brady or some. My hero is Elijah and Elisha. And Paul, and, you know, I, I just like these men of God who aren't afraid, who will spit in the devil's face and dare you to back up on the Word of God. Pardon my language. You can talk like that in church. If i got big heads on my wall, it's Elijah and Elisha. Come on, spit in the devil's face. Walk up in the face of culture and religion and government and say, this is the Word of Almighty God. Now, you have to understand that this declaration in 1 Kings 17, 1 was a mockery of the god Baal. Because Baal was the god of rain and harvest. <laughs> and so God sends his man in and says, all right, you like this Baal guy? You think killing your babies and, and perversion is, is going to bring blessing? He's going to send rain and your crops are going to be abundant? God said it's not going to rain again until I walk back in there and tell you it's going to rain. So right in the face of Baal, God sent his man. They made a challenge. You see, God will always respond when the enemy raises up his head. Let's go to chapter 18. I want to track you through because I want you to see what happens with the tearing down of God's altar and what happens when you rebuild it. In fact, maybe you saw the movie about uh, Field of Dreams, and here's what I want to say when talking about the altar. When you build it, he will come. <laughs> I didn't say they will come. I said when you build it, he will come. Okay? So let's watch this today. So 18.1. So after a long time, in the third year, three and a half years, you ready? The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. All right? Let's, let's drop down to, uh, oh, let's see. Let's go to verse 16. So Elijah, God says, all right, go back. It's been three and a half years. Verse 16 of chapter 18. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Watch this. When he saw Elijah, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah says, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. Isn't it interesting that Ahab, who's responsible for the downfall of the nation spiritually, who is the reason the nation is being judged, when he sees Elijah, what does he say? You're the guy that's making all the trouble around here. You know what happens in a culture that refuses to acknowledge God? They want to shoot the messenger. See, when you're not ready to repent, when your altar looks like this instead of the way it's supposed to look, you're going to always find an excuse and blame someone else for the trouble that's going on in your life. Everybody's still with me on this thing. See, don't shoot the messenger. Let's not make an excuse. 
we, until I'm willing to accept the responsibility for the decisions I've made that have brought the judgment in my life, that situation will never change in my life. So the king did what, what always happens when you're not willing to deal with your responsibility. He blames Elijah. You're the one causing trouble, that he says. All right? Let's go down. Now let's drop down to, to verse number 19. And we read this. Now, summon the people. This is what Elijah said. Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring, watch this, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The queen fed 850 false prophets at her table in the palace every day. 850 false prophets. If you took out the scorecard that day and you looked at it for the big Super Bowl for Israel, it said, on God's team, Elijah. That's it. On the devil's team, 850. 850 to 1. 850 to 1. Sometimes... When you go to the altar in your life, you're going to have to walk by yourself. Not everybody's going to go to the altar with you. Not everybody wants to encounter God. Not every school wants to encounter God. But if one student can find the presence of God and build an altar in their life, I believe the fire of God can fall in that school. Maybe everybody's not willing to walk with you today, but you're about to see. It may take one brave soul to go to the altar, but you'll never leave it by yourself. You may have to go to the altar by yourself, but God will use you. Don't be afraid to represent God in these situations. So, so they're, they're, they're gathered together here, and, and we, we see it's 850 to 1. Verse 20, So I have sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, watch this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And this statement may be the worst, but the people said nothing. The people said nothing. We don't know, Elijah. We're not sure, Elijah. I don't want to make a decision, Elijah. I would like to kind of, you know, hedge my bet and, 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 and maybe pull a little bit from each one of these gods, depending on what I need and where I am. Jesus said that either you are gathering with me or scattering. Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. They wouldn't answer I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Who, who am I to speak? I, I saw, uh, uh, you know, there have been many uh, videos and Instagram and Facebook posts since Billy Graham has died and went to heaven. What an amazing, amazing, amazing man. I'll say again, we were blessed to have him live in our lifetime. And, uh, but I saw, I, I never, I don't know when this happened, but I saw uh, an interview with Billy Graham and Woody Allen. You talk about 180 degree opposite. I thought, dear God, when did that happen? It was, it was quite old, 30 years old probably, maybe more, maybe 40 years ago. Here's Woody Allen and Billy Graham. Because Woody Allen's being Woody Allen. If you don't know who he is, I'm sure not going to educate you. You haven't missed anything. And he's doing his little smarty pants stuff, you know, and trying to twist Billy Graham and 
do all this stuff, you know, the classic stuff. Man, not Billy Graham. And he said, so what do you think? Billy Graham looked at him, he said, he says, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what does the Word of God say. I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And here comes the Word of God on this thing. See, see, we have to find some people still living in this day that are able to give an answer to a question. And to say, thus saith the Lord. Not what I think, not what I've seen, not what I've said. What does the Lord say about this? We don't know. They won't give an answer. They're standing there completely paralyzed by their inability to make a decision. So let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets, and the Asherah was 400 more. He says this, 23, get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Are you ready? And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he says, let's just put this thing out there. Let's just trust God. I know I'm outnumbered 850 to 1. I know the king and the queen want me dead. I know that if God doesn't answer this prayer, I'm not going home today. I'm going to the graveyard today. I know the odds are stacked against me. But he said, I believe in the God who is able. Does anybody believe God is still the God who he says he is? The God who answers by fire. Do you know that if you've torn the altar down in your life, if life has beat it down and bad choices have beat it down and it's neglected and covered with dirt and ashes, do you know if you come back to the altar in your life, God will answer by fire. If you build it, he will come. In the wilderness tabernacle, Moses do this. And we read in Leviticus, they assembled the tabernacle and built the altar. And the Bible says fire from heaven fell on it. When David had sinned and a plague was on Israel, he built an altar. And we read fire fell on it. When Solomon built the temple and built an altar, the Bible says fire fell on the altar. In Acts chapter 2, when they were praying and seeking God and building an altar prayer, fire fell on them in Acts chapter 2. If you and I are willing... To build an altar, to encounter God, to seek God, no matter the odds against us, no matter how destroyed the altar may have been in your life, it's not too late for God to send fire on your life. The God who answers by fire. Fire represents what in the Scripture? The Holy Spirit. The God who sends His Spirit. It's not too late. And so we we drop down. So let's see what happens. Let's go to, to verse number 25. So the pretenders and the contenders... Take their turn. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls, prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Watch this. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. This is a bad boy. Come on, don't, don't act well. I wouldn't do that. I wish you would do that. Well, I don't think Jesus would have done that. Get some Holy Ghost backbone inside us. Stand up for the things of God. So he started taunting them. So you've been dancing and yelling and praying all morning. So what's up? Where's Mr. Bell? Shout louder. Surely he is a God. 
Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or he's busy. Or maybe he's on vacation today. He's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. It must be awakened. So they said, all right. So they shouted louder. And now they start cutting themselves and bleeding with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Counterfeit for the blood of Jesus. Substitute for the real altar of God. Young people today cutting and slicing themselves, trying to find God in the wrong place. Not mad at them, heartbroken for them. God helped them. God helped them. Someone who's so desperate as these people were. You understand that's what desperation is. They're so desperate for their God to answer them that they will do anything, cutting, slicing, whatever, to find. We have the opportunity to give truth to people like that. Let them find hope. Encourage them. Come on. So they slashed themselves their custom. 29, verse 29. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So, sit down now. Let the man of God come. You ready? Let's go. Let's look at this. Oh, yeah. Then, Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. And what did he do? What's the first thing he did? What did he say? What did he do? He repaired the altar. He said, man, let's get this thing right again. Let's repair the altar. Do you know every time anybody's ever given an altar call in a service and you are away from God, do you realize what a gift that is to you? Do you realize that those watching by Facebook Live and live stream and all other social platforms, that every time somebody gives you a chance to repent, God walked in your life with a gift? Do you realize no matter how broken down, dusty, neglected, forgotten and forsaken, the presence of God, the altar of God, the encounter with God may be in your life, that when someone says, come on, let's rebuild this altar. Let's give you one more chance. Let's get up out of that mess. Let's stop the, the frantic running everywhere, trying to find God in the wrong place. And, and, and I love what Elijah said. He didn't throw the people away. He didn't rebuke the people. He said, come here. Like a father, come here to me. Come here to me. Let me hold you. Let me help you. Let's build this altar again. You know that's why the devil doesn't want an altar in your life? You know that's why he fights your prayer life? You know that's why he doesn't want you to go to church and hear a message and hear an altar call? You know that's why altar calls are given less and less and less and less and less in church today? You know that's why people, like we tell them in our productions, we give an altar call and they look at me like I said, we threw dirt on people? The altar, the place to rebuild your life, to encounter God, to start over again, to find what you've been looking for in all those dead-end streets, the presence of God. So what did he say? If we're going to encounter God, if we're going to have fire, if the presence of God is going to come, the first thing to do is what? Build an altar. Repair the altar. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. My, my. Elijah took 12 stones. Now, don't miss the revelation of this altar in verse 31. Let me tell you, something here is so huge, and we repass it. Look at this. Who he said. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes 
descended from whom? Watch the name switch. Watch this. They caught it. We miss it. These tribes descended from whom? From Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Remember, we studied that in this altered series. Jacob, his name means what? Supplanter, tricker, deceiver. Remember, Jacob bought his brother's birthright and stole his brother's blessing. And everything Jacob ever found in his life was by deception and trickery and lying and human ability. Anybody listening to me right now? He found his place in life by deceit and tricking. But remember, finally, he and his father-in-law Laban had both lied and tricked and deceived each other so, so many times that he had to leave. He had to take his wives, his children, and his flocks and go. And as he left his father-in-law, there was nowhere to go but back to his home where his brother, who? was waiting on him. Who was his brother? Jacob's brother, Esau. And Esau swore, if I ever see that Jacob again, I'm going to kill him. So Jacob has worn his welcome out, lying, deceiving, tricking with his father-in-law. And now he has to go home, and he knows his brother's waiting on him. Jacob the deceiver. But he had that night where he sent everybody on ahead of him. And he stayed behind. The Bible said that night that he wrestled with God wrestled with God. You ever had the Holy Spirit wrestle with your heart? <laughs> you ever been sitting in the seat in the church service and the Holy Spirit pounding on the door of your heart? Come on. I've been there. Thank God. Thank God. And what do we do? We sit there. Oh, God. I don't want to go up there. God, boy. I've seen people. I thought they're going to wear the cushion out of the chair some Sundays in here. Thought, my God, we're going to throw that chair away. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it's like this. I'm preaching. They're doing this. You give the altar call. They're climbing. Look like a cat up on a roof. And my God, I'm, oh God, I wish he'd just get that thing over with. Some people, as soon as I start the altar call, they're just out the back door. They're, my God. Think I'm blind up here? You don't think I see all that? Think I miss that stuff? I mean, wrestling with God. Jacob, see, come on, we've all wrestled with God. you get it right now? I wouldn't act like Jacob. You wouldn't. Every one of us have acted like Jacob. Wrestle with God. Wiggle, wrestle. Oh, yes, no, yes, no. Uh, I don't want to go. Well, what if someone sees me go? Who cares who sees you go? Anybody that's ever been to an altar and wrestled with God will think that person's smart, great, doing the right thing. They'll cheer you on. The only people that don't want you to go to the altar are the other people who don't want to go to the altar. So Jacob wrestled with God. The Lord touched him that night. He said, I'm going to change your name, son. He said, all your life you've done it. You've wrestled and lied and tricked and deceived and played your game. But he said, you've encountered God tonight. And I'm going to change you. And you're not Jacob, you're Israel, a prince before God. And now you're ready for your destiny and your purpose. And you see, when Elijah built that altar... He reminded those people, this is an Israel altar. This is an altar where you walk up as Jacob and you leave as Israel. You walk up as you were and you leave as he is. Anybody with me right now? See, we can't leave that out of the church today. We can't say in the church, God loves you just like you are. Don't change. He loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. 
No, no, see, we, we say come as you are, but we don't say leave like you came. We say come as you are and leave like the person God made you to be. We love you too much to agree with your sin and lie about your life. We say the Lord is what you're looking for. That's not popular. Who cares? It's the truth, and the truth sets you free. So the rest, so he's getting them ready. Okay, let's go down. Verse 32, with stones he built up the altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug it. Watch this. So this is interesting. Now remember, it had, something had not happened for three and a half years. What had not happened for three and a half years? No rain. So the rarest, most costly commodity in a drought is what? Water. Water. Water was worth more than money then. Water was like was better than having gold. Everybody with me? So he's ready. <laughs> Watch this. Let's go back to verse 32. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water. Probably all they had. And pour it on the offering on the wood. Now he was taking, watch this, all the future opportunity to drink and maybe live. Putting it on this altar. So they did that and I know everybody was thinking, man, what is he doing? He's not through. Verse 34, do it again, he said. They did it again. Well, they're looking around and say, this dude's taking every bit of water left in Israel. He's not through. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Man. Build an altar. Pour the water on it. Take your most precious possession and put it on the altar. Take your security about the future and give it to God today. Take what you've been relying on to get you through and give it to Him. And believe He's going to get you through. Anybody see what's going on here? Come on, it's time. It's time. Look, I can't miss this. Go to verse 33. I've got to show you this. Look at verse 33. You got this? Put, put 33 back up here. Let's, I want you to see this. Uh, uh, yeah, there it is. Look, he arranged the wood. What did he say? Time to cut the bull. That's what he told me. I didn't say that. That's right there. So I want to tell all y'all. Elijah was feeling it that day. He said, everybody standing around here? Cut the bull. Just cut the bull. We're about to get down to business here. I didn't say it. It's right there. Every once in a while, you got to do that. Everybody with me? It just comes that time. Because look at this verse, 36. When did the fire fall? When did this take place? When? Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice. At the time of sacrifice. There comes a time in your life and mine, listen to me, where we're going to break out of those patterns, be released from where we've been, and rebuild the altar and see our life change. And that's your opportunity to do what was not easy. To pour your water out. To step up and take a stand. To say, I'm going to find my voice again and quit wavering and, 
and, and afraid to say, I love the Lord. It's at the time of sacrifice. So at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. And what did he do? He prayed. At the time of sacrifice, you pray and obey. Who's listening to me? Oh, Lord. Now, remember these other dudes prayed, danced, sang, prophesied, shouted, cut themselves for six to eight hours. Look at this prayer. Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you, what's this all about? What's the altar all about? Are turning their hearts back again. Then, then, what a prayer. Short prayer. To the point. A man who knows his God. A man who knows why he's there. A man sent on a mission. A woman who's prayed before this moment in her life. A woman who's been walking with God. A woman whose altar is not in ruins. A woman who knows what it's like to encounter the presence of God. Are you with me? A woman of God. A man of God. I don't have to pray a long prayer. I've already talked to God. I don't have to convince me or you or Him. <laughs> Some prayers we're trying to convince God. Don't, don't you, you understand? Some prayers are trying to convince people how holy we are. And some prayers are just answering the bell. It's time. It's time. God, we've talked. I'm here because you've told me. I'm going to pray a simple prayer because that's all I need to do. Because it's not about me. It's all about you. Come on, anybody with me? Huh. Then, oh yeah, yeah. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. My God. It wasn't a little spark. It wasn't, did, was that fire? No. It was a Holy Ghost nuclear explosion on that altar that obliterated everything and every doubt that it was the hand of God. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Do you know this, that when the Holy Spirit comes in response to the altars we build in our life, the fire of God falls in our life. What is fire? It's the Holy Spirit. What, what does He do? Well, fire illuminates things. I, I've got, man, i got to run. Let me look at this clock. Oh, Jesus. It illuminates everything. What does that mean? There are things that I've been blind to. The Bible says Satan blinds the eyes of those who will not worship God. And when the Holy Spirit comes in response to an altar someone builds, you see things you couldn't see before. Your family sees things they couldn't see before. Is anybody hearing me right now? You may go to the altar by yourself, but you will not leave by yourself. The people shouted, He is God. We recognize He's God. The fire illuminates. You see what you couldn't see. The fire purifies. <laughs> Some of the junk that was going on in our life that we were allowing to remain. Come on, anybody with me here? I don't have time for the icing and the sweet stuff right now. Just some stuff that didn't belong gets exposed when the fire of God comes. And if we'll stay on that altar, God will get that out of our life. Aren't there some things you're ready to be gone? You know, if I've got to make an excuse for it, I don't need it. 
If I'm afraid to put it on the altar, it's hurting me. Purifies. Do you know George Sawyer can't clean his act up? But the fire of God can clean my act up. Anybody understand that? I, I, I can't get it better. I can't do it right. I don't have what it takes within me. The Bible says, I am like every man. I was born into sin. I have sinned against God. I have a fallen, sinful nature. Does everybody understand that? But in me is a God who is able to overcome every place in my life that was trapped and in bondage. And what I could not clean up, if I stay on the altar long enough, not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. He purifies my life. Fire illuminates. Fire purifies. And fire will warm you up. Christians ought to be the warmest, happiest, joyous people on the planet. We're not the old cranky finger in your face. Aunt Esther, you better act right. Church lady, you better act right. Gripey, snippy, snappy, ugly, condemning, critical, judgmental. We are the people of God. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's a holy warmth and joy around our lives. People ought to be trying to rub up against you. They ought to be begging to sit by you in school, work by you there, sit by you in the office, go with you on the trip. Why? Because there's nothing like the warmth of the Holy Spirit in your life. i got to go on. Help me, Lord. Then look at verse 40. I know some will wrestle with this. These are principles that apply to our life. Look at verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. 850 prophets. Here's what I know. Listen to me. When the fire is hot... You better get rid of that junk in your life. <laughs> There's some commitments you'll make to God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you won't make out here running somewhere. Don't look at me funny. There's some decisions that have to be made in life. When, when those prophets were leading those people astray, he said, that's the end of that stuff. God has moved. You said he's God. Now, let's stop that and don't ever let it come back. There's some things you've got to do. Look here. I, I know this means a lot to you, but you can clean the contacts out of your phone. Did you get that? There's some of you ought to pull that thing out right now. Start dumping your contacts. Because you've got one you don't need this for. His name is Jesus. You can call on him. He's your 911. He's your 411. <laughs> Come on. He's what you need. He's your man. He's your God. He's your Lord. You've you got to get rid of some stuff. When the fire's hot, you need to do some stuff. There may be some people. You know, there's some, uh, there's some software that you can put on your computer, and you can't get to some things that were bothering you. Okay. <laughs> you, you can give your wife your password. Don't look at me like that. Did the fire fall or not? Did you say he's God or not? Is he a Sunday God or a Monday God and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and Saturday? Do you mean business? Are you ready to kill the voice of the devil that's pulled you from the altar? All right. I, it's okay. It's okay. Someone has to do this. I'm your pastor. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? 
Okay. <laughs> All right. So look at verse 41. I'm going to end with this. Look at it. And Elijah said to Ahab. All right. I love this. He said, hey, listen, man. They're up on Mount Carmel. He said, you better go. You better eat and drink. For there's a sound of a heavy rain. What do you mean? It hadn't rained for three and a half years. Not a cloud in the sky. What's that boy listening to? He's hearing something you can't hear with these ears. <laughs> He's hearing something you hear with these ears. He said, King, if I were you, I'd be going. Why? Well, it's about to have a downpour here. So Ahab went off. See, <laughs> now Ahab listens to him. Now Ahab does what the prophet says. Why? He's seen fire. They built an altar and God showed up. All of a sudden, that king's like a little baby in front of that prophet. He said, okay, okay. He went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. Come on. Bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He gets down here like this. His face is down between his knees. He tells his servant. He prays one time, and he says, go look and see if you see a cloud. He said, I don't see anything. He said, all right. Seven times. Go back and look. He said, I don't see anything. Seven times. He said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, you better start running, boy. Now, look at this. Seven, I'm going to help you. Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of when God takes over. Six is man. Seven is God. So, watch this. His prayer. I, I, I've never used this term. Get this. His prayer reached a completion. He prayed about that situation until God says, you don't need to pray anymore. You, you, you don't need to pray anymore. And so I'm reminded of what we've learned about accumulation. I'm reminded of what we've learned about the tipping point. And what happened, Elisha's prayers reached a completion before God. Do you hear what I'm telling you today? You may pray one time and it's not quite there. You get on your knees and pray again. And you pray again and you pray again. And there's going to be a moment where the God of heaven says, we're there. You're there. You got it. You prayed enough. You're at that point. We're good now. But all I see is a cloud. You don't have to worry because see that cloud, you have reached completion. You have filled it up. It has accumulated. And now it's splashing over the top. And those little first drops of breakthrough are starting to happen in your life. And it's just the cloud the size of a man's hand. But that's all you need is a little splash because you know the downpour is about to come. The breakthrough running over this. I've completed my prayer. God says it's good. And the Bible says it rained so hard that the drought that had been there for three and a half years was walked away in one mighty move of God. But all of it happened because they built an altar. Because they built an altar. Come on, stand with me. Let's stand together. Build an altar. Build an altar. Build an altar. God will answer by fire. Build an altar in the face of the devil. Build an altar in the face of your tears. Come on, listen to me. Build an altar in the face of your worst moment. And see what God will do. Come on, let's, we're, we're, we're going to pray together. Come on, church family. We've got a minute or two. Let's don't get in a hurry. This may be prayer number seven for you today. Anybody listening to me? Come on, what if you prayed to six? And you're one more act of obedience from seven. Why is the devil trying to discourage you so? Because he knows how close you are. Why does he do everything? Listen, you know, 
let me just help you. Let me be honest about it. When I decided I was going to have a prayer life and not just pray when I was in trouble. Everybody listen to me? When I decided I had to have a prayer lifestyle, it's amazing. Now, I, enjoy, I enjoy watching football. It's my favorite sport. And you know what's funny about that? When I get ready to watch the Cowboys, it's pretty easy. Just things work. All's well. But I'll be whatever. If when I get ready to pray, the phone rings. Toilet overflows. Something early happened that day. Come on. You ever thought about those kind of things? You're going to open your Bible and pray. Get your Bible out. You pray. You're thinking about work. This and that. You've read about 15 minutes. You just, I don't remember a stinking thing I just read. I can't remember a word. Get up, get up about 15 minutes, you're done. Can't get up in the morning and pray. You can lay in bed and look at Facebook for an hour and a half. Can't get up in the morning because you couldn't go to sleep at night. Checking out your friends. Who followed me? What do you call it when they put you off? The friend thing? They did what? They unfriended you. Lay up in bed at midnight. <laughs> I don't know why they, why they unfriend me. I never did anything to them. My God. My God. Maybe God just did you a favor. Maybe He just helped you out. When you decide, I'm going to build an altar. This is made fire. Fire. That will illuminate you. And purify you. And warm you. It's waiting for you. If you build it, He will come. You can build it wherever you want to, whenever you want to, all by yourself in the face of hell itself. You can build an altar. God will meet you there. Come on, it's a little bit late. It's Sunday. It's all that stuff. But look, man, you got here on time. I'm going to say this. If you want to build a fresh altar, would you just come and stand? Everybody in this room. I, I'm committed to build altars. Come on. Five minutes is not going to break it. Come on. Would you filter to the sides when you come up from these sides? Just go all the way to that wall. Come on, let's wrap around. Make room for everybody. Just walk all the way to these walls, these side aisles. Would you go, go as far as you can, fill in behind, up to the chairs. Come on, just, 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 just. I want everybody to get as close as they can. Come on, keep filling in behind here. Thank you for going around. Good, good, good. Thank you. Man, church family, you guys are amazing. You're amazing people. You love God. You love God. You're amazing. God's for you. Do you know that He's for you? And God wants us to know that even if our altar is in ruins, today you can rebuild it. Today you can rebuild it. The devil wants you to worry about the past 
and so overwhelm you with guilt and condemnation that you have no faith to rebuild your altar today. But what happened yesterday is yesterday. Build the altar today. God will answer my fire. Come on, let's just pray right where we are. Oh, Lord, we come before you today, and we love you. And we're thankful for your grace and your goodness that you've not given up on us. That when the enemy tries to wreck our life and send the false word and the ungodly influence and stir us, God, you're the God who sends a voice. God, today, I don't claim to be Elijah. I don't claim to be that kind of a prophet. But I believe I've given your word today, Lord. I believe we've heard the word of the Lord today. And if we will respond to the word of the Lord, you will respond to us today. If we will rebuild some altars today, you'll send fire. Where we've gotten cold and dusty and, and, and lost our way and trapped by this world. Didn't do it on purpose. Never was our intent. But life has just broken our altar time down. Oh, God, we come to you today. <laughs> the God who is faithful and kind and merciful. The God who answers by fire. Lord, send a fresh anointing of your spirit on our lives today. Lord, encourage your people. God, because they built an altar, the drought was over. I want to speak in the Spirit and prophesy today and say there are people building altars today. And I tell you, your drought is coming to an end. There's an abundance of rain coming on you. There's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And God is coming to you, to your house, to your life to your marriage, to your children. I see prodigal sons and daughters getting up, shaking their head, getting out of the pig pen, starting to come home. I see rain coming to your house. 